It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. No matter where we live, there are laws, and sometimes they are enforced. Every city, county, state, and nation has laws. We find laws at home, at school, at work. A host of laws impact what we can and cannot do, and some legislators are responsible for these laws. But I do not wish to talk about man-made laws. The question I ask, is there any evidence of a universal moral law? To answer that question, let me clarify some terms. Not all man-made laws are passed on the basis of what is morally good or bad. Sometimes they just dictate the decisions we make so as not to confront a negative consequence. For example, on which side of the road do you drive? That depends on what country you are in. That choice wasn't made on the basis of which side is good or bad, but on the basis of a custom and on what made sense in the country you were in. A moral law differs from a custom. Custom is the way people do behave. Morals refer to how they ought to behave. The question I am asking is, are there any morals on which everyone agrees? At the end of the last episode, I made the claim. There is a universal objective moral law. And I began giving reasons to support that claim. Let me continue that process here. First, I've said that we find in the records of past cultures and in present societies that they all have moral laws. C.S. Lewis's book, Abolition of Man, documents the fact that moral beliefs are held in common by nearly all cultures. The morality defined in the Jewish Ten Commandments, the Babylonian Code of Hammurabi, the Chinese Tao, and the Christian New Testament all differ in detail and emphasis, but not in their core essence. All cultures, for example, promote truth-telling and caring for children. The reason for this is obvious. A whole culture full of liars is bound to sink into chaos sooner or later. And a culture that does not care for its children will eventually disappear. All major cultures have rules that say people cannot kill others at will or engage in sex with just anyone they want. All cultures prohibit disrespect for parents lying, stealing, and killing, and promote justice and honesty for obvious reasons. 
When the U.S. captured Saddam Hussein and turned him over to the Iraqi government, his own people put him on trial. Virtually every nation found his actions to be morally wrong. There was no international outcry for him to be absolved. All people recognized his actions as criminal. Despite variations and distortions, the same essential sense of morality appears in all cultures. How can we explain a moral code that is consistently present in all societies? What gives every sane person on the earth an innate sense of right and wrong? I think it is because God created us in his image and placed within all of us a conscience. So we have something innately within us that gives us a hint to what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, and worthy of praise. This commonality points to God as the source of morality. Second, all people believe they are entitled to certain rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a well-known phrase in the United States Declaration of Independence. The phrase is not legally binding, but it has been widely referenced and seen as an inspiration for the basis of government. There are many things we don't want others to do to us. Don't injure or kill someone I love. Don't lie to me. Don't take my stuff and call it yours. Don't abuse me, my family, or my dog. What parent wants their children to lie to them or steal from them? If anyone does these things to us, we get upset. We don't tolerate it and say, if it's okay with you, let this be the last time you set fire to my house or is it possible that you could stop throwing hand grenades at my children? No, we don't let these things slide. We get angry. Why? Because someone has violated our moral code. In the USA, we have the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have them do to you. China has the reverse golden rule. Third, all people live their lives and talk like there is a moral law. We all find some things like genocide, racism, bigotry, rape, etc., and label them as evil. We apologize for things we said or did that we knew instinctively were not right. We somehow possess an awareness of what we ought to do. When we fail to do what we ought, a part of our mind we call conscience evokes an unpleasant feeling we call guilt. Is that feeling, present in almost all individuals, an indication of a God-given moral law? I think so. Our conscience influences not only our behavior, but also how we feel about our behavior. Do we simply make it up? Sigmund Freud thinks we do. Just like we make up 
our traffic laws, and he claims that moral codes can change from culture to culture. C.S. Lewis says we discover this code as we discover the laws of mathematics, and that this universal law transcends time and culture. Dr. Armand M. Nicolai writes in the book, The Question of God, Freud's philosophical works are not characterized by the objective, dispassionate tone of the clinician or scientist. Instead, they exhibit an intense, emotional, argumentative, and at times desperate and pleading tone. Freud obviously feels intensely about these issues. He appears to be determined to destroy every possible reason for accepting the spiritual worldview. The scientific method, Freud writes, is our only source of knowledge. Lewis strongly disagrees. He says the job of science, a very important and necessary job, is to experiment and observe and report how things behave or react. Lewis writes, but why anything comes to be there at all, and whether there is anything behind the things science observes, this is not a scientific question. Lewis argues that the question of whether or not an intelligence beyond the universe can never be answered by the scientific method. When anyone attempts to answer that question, he must make a philosophical or metaphysical assumption, not a scientific statement. Similarly, we cannot expect science to answer questions about the existence of a moral law. Lewis agrees with the philosopher Immanuel Kant, who pointed to the moral law within as a powerful witness to the greatness of God. Fourth, moral comparisons demand an objective moral law. Which one of Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler would you prefer to babysit your children? Fifth, moral disputes call for objective standards outside the dispute. C.S. Lewis said, the moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another set of ideas, you are, in fact, measuring them both by standards saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other. But the standard that measures the two things is something different from either. Sixth, we don't invent moral laws any more than we invent physical or mathematical laws. We discover them. Isaac Newton didn't invent gravity. He simply discovered it. Seventh, we can't know what is unjust unless we know what is just any more than what is unfair unless we know what is fair or what is evil unless we have an idea of, of what good is. Lewis said, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. Just how did I get this idea of just and unjust? 
A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Ravi Zacharias asked a moral relativist this question. Is there anything wrong anywhere? If the answer is yes, then there is an objective moral law. Otherwise, it is relative, and thus it is just a matter of opinion. Opinions are like noses. We all have one. Let me end the program today by telling a story and giving a challenge. The story is this. A leading actor was honored at a banquet. In the after-dinner ceremonies, the actor was asked to recite for the pleasure of his guests. He consented and asked if there was anything special anyone in the audience would like to hear. There was a moment's pause, and then an old clergyman spoke up. Could you, sir, he said, recite the 23rd Psalm? A strange look came over the actor's face, but he was speechless for only a moment. I can, sir, and I will, on one condition, and that is that after I have recited it, you, my friend, will do the same. I replied the surprised clergyman, but I am not an elocutionist. However, if you wish, I will do so. Impressively, the great actor began the song, holding his audience spellbound. As he finished, a great burst of applause broke from the guests. After the applause had ceased, the old clergyman arose. The audience sat in intense silence. The psalm was recited, and when it was done, there was not the slightest ripple of applause. But those in the audience whose eyes were yet dry had their heads bowed. The great actor, with hand on the shoulder of the old clergyman, his voice trembling, explained, I reached your eyes and ears, my friends. This man reached your hearts. I know the 23rd Psalm. This man knows the shepherd. My challenge then is to know the shepherd.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.